Good morning. It's uh, nice to be with you. My name is Jeff Totten. I'm part of the teaching team at Woodside. And so I get to go out and speak at some of the campuses from time to time. Always a joy to be here. I think I've been here two or three times. Appreciate so much Billy, your staff, and then many of you who we know, and then always enjoy uh, meeting new people as well. I'll give you a couple of ministry updates. Part of what I do as well is related to sports ministry. And so I do the chapels for the Detroit Tigers. Had a wonderful year with those guys. I'll give you one little highlight. We do a big outreach event called Home Plate. It was in June at the ballpark. Uh, seven of our players came out before a game and sh- shared their faith in Christ before about uh, 5,000 people. But what I really like, not only did seven guys share, another six guys came out just to be with their teammates and to identify with them and say, hey, I'm part of this too, uh, even though they didn't speak. And uh, another gentleman came out, a retired Tiger. First time he's ever come out to identify with us, and that was Al Kaline, Hall of Famer. And so really great to have uh, Al, who's in his 80s, and then some guys in their early 20s, uh, and there's a great unity and oneness uh, in Christ there. And then something you could pray about, too, we have a wonderful ministry with the umpires, and um, they have a wonderful ministry among themselves, too. Uh, In fact, uh, some of the umpires started a ministry called, it's entitled, Calling for Christ. Isn't that a great name? You can look up their website. That's what the website is. And they actually, some of them wear wristbands. And on one side, it'll say, Calling for Christ. On the other side, it says, Jesus loves umpires. Isn't that good? And they actually say they wish the band was longer, because then they would say, Jesus loves umpires, because nobody else does. And, um, but uh, one of the umpires uh, passed away this last week. I don't know if you saw it. Eric Cooper, 52 years old. Uh, in Des Moines, Iowa, had knee surgery to repair something in his knee, home recuperating, and a blood clot uh, took his life. He's with the Lord now. Tomorrow in West Des Moines, at a church there, they'll have the funeral, and a Ted Barrett, one of the uh, umpires who's actually an ordained minister as well, will actually be preaching the funeral. So if you think of it around uh, noontime there, so one o'clock here, uh, just be praying for those guys, because a lot of the umps will be there who don't know Christ and have a chance to hear the gospel. Hey, we're in a wonderful series here at uh, Woodside on um, a Picture Imperfect. And it really is the story of how a perfect God took imperfect people and created them into a family uh, to receive His grace, be empowered by His Spirit, to carry His message around the world and to partner with Him. And we call it the church. Uh, and that's what the church is. Imperfect people joined together through Christ by a perfect God. Uh, Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles is the chapter we're looking at, and that is where the church begins. If you ever want to say, hey, where did all this start the church? It's Acts chapter 2. Uh, and it's not the beginning of their story. Folks, it's the beginning of our story. What happens in Acts 2 is the beginning and at the very rudimentary level, uh, the church of which we're part of today. And so as you think of that, uh, if we say, hey, what kind of church should we be? Where should our values be? We would do well to go back to Acts 2 and say, hey, that's what it was then. Let's not lose that. Let's keep that biblical model through to today. And so we're in this series in Acts 2 about looking at what this church looked like. And uh, to give you the context, 
Uh, people are gathered in the city of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 for the Jewish holiday or feast day or celebration day of Pentecost. And so there's people from all over the world in the region there. And Peter gets up to preach. And he preaches the gospel of Christ. And 3,000 people, we're told in verse 41, at least 3,000 people come to faith in Christ right then and there. And so you have this young church, uh, days old, really that day it started. And uh, what does that church look like? So we pick the story up in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And let me begin reading there. It says this, and they, these 3,000 plus, and they devoted themselves. Now we have to stop for just a moment. What does the word devoted mean? Because it's key to the entire passage. In fact, um, that's, that's the, the key word that governs the next paragraph. They were devoted. The word devoted has the idea of meaning steadfast. Uh, we might think of the word faithful. Uh, the word devoted here in this passage, when it says uh, they were devoted, it has the idea of uh, being single-minded uh, with a fidelity to, to a single course of action. And so there's a purpose, there's a, there's a focus that doesn't change. Um, the word devoted here can also be translated or defined as where I spend my time. Isn't that good? You want to know how devoted you are to Christ and to the things we're looking at in Acts 2. Say, well, where do I spend my time with those things? And then the last word I'll give you, the word I like and kind of use today, uh, the word devoted there has the idea of being loyal. And so I ask you the question, hey, what are you loyal to? And I'm asking it of myself, of course, too. So in this chapter, in the paragraph we'll read here in a moment, we'll see that uh, they were devoted or loyal to four things. We've already looked at two of them in the last two weeks. The first was they were loyal to the Word of God in prayer. They spent their time in the Word of God in prayer. Uh, last week, Billy preached on being loyal to or devoted to uh, the fellowship and the community of believers. Today, we look at being loyal to or devoted to living generously or generous giving. It's mentioned here. And then the last one next week, I think it's going to be a video by Pastor uh, Chris, is being loyal to serving. And so understand what this paragraph is about and what we're looking at. Here's what it means to be devoted, to be loyal, to spend my time to be focused in on what God says the church ought to be, okay? And so let's read the paragraph, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship uh, and to the breaking of bread and, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Here are the two verses we'll look at this morning, verse 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. Uh, and, the, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food and were with glad uh, and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so today we look at what it means to be committed to or loyal to a life of generous giving, okay? And so here's the first little phrase in verse 44. It says, and all who believed were together. 
So how do we develop a life that's committed to living generously? The first thing we must do, I think, and the Bible teaches right here, we must embrace the family of Christ. Do you know we're here as one family? The word together there, uh, the Greek word is the word uh, koinonia. And many of you know that word. We often use it to describe fellowship. And that is the Bible definition of it, to have something in common, to share, to fellowship. The word uh, koine, which comes from koinonia, is the word that describes the language the New Testament was written in. They say it was written in koine Greek, common Greek. It was the language of everyday, everyday uh, people in, in uh, uh, the Greek culture at that time. And so the word koine means common. That's what it means. Um, it means to share. It means to fellowship. It could also be defined this way. It means to be of one another. So we're connected. You have a part in me and I have a part in you as followers of Christ. And here we are, we have a diverse crowd here. Uh, there are some places where the crowds would be even much more diverse, but we're one in Christ is what it's teaching there. I love doing chapel at the ballpark. In chapels at the ballpark, when we do it for the different teams and the Tigers, we have uh, white players there, we have black players there, we have Latino players there. And it's the only chapel in the ballpark, so they got nowhere else to go, okay? We're all together. And different cultures come out and different uh, viewpoints and backgrounds, but we're one in Christ. Uh, up until this year, we've never done a separate Spanish chapel. Every year I'll ask our Spanish players, do you want a chapel in your own language? I say, no, no, we want to be together. And uh, most of them could handle the English. This year, for the first time, we had some younger players who could not handle the English. So they said, hey, we, we need uh, Spanish. So I got a guy from one of the Woodside campuses. He's doing chapel for the Latino guys in Spanish now. And it's so funny, when we all meet together uh, for prayer and then they leave to go to the teaching time, and um, our English guides will say to some of those Spanish guys, hey, you ought to stay in here. Your English is way better than mine. And it's probably true. Some of our guys don't have the best English. But um, uh, that's what it means to be together. We're one. Um, you know, it's really unique. The church and here in Acts 2, they were diverse, yet they were unified. And that is the picture of the church. Uh, back in Acts chapter 2, verse 9, talking about the gathering on that day of uh, Pentecost and who was there, because people came from all over the world. And here's what it says. It says, uh, there gathered were Parth or Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia uh, and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. And all these people came together. They heard the word of God preached in the gospel of Christ. And many of them came to faith in Christ. And now they were one in the church. Where prior to, who knows, they could have been at war with each other. They could have looked down on one another. Whatever it was, now they were coming together to be one. And folks, that is what it means to embrace uh, the body of Christ, the family of God. Jesus prayed for it. In John chapter 17, the entire chapter, if you have a Bible that has the words of Jesus in red, the entire chapter is in red because it is Jesus praying the night before he goes to the cross. Thursday night, he's in the upper room with his uh, disciples, and 9 o'clock Friday morning, he'll be nailed to the cross. And in that upper room, before they go out and, and he's taken prisoner, he prays this in John chapter 17, verse 11, and I no longer am in the world. 
but they are in the world, meaning the disciples. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, and listen to this, that they may be one, even as we are one. You know what Jesus prayed? Hey, Lord, let the body of believers, the followers of Christ, you and me, let us be so unified in our diversity that we reflect the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. When we are unified, we are actually showing the world a picture of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And that's what we're called to do. You know, when you think of a picture of unity, uh, we can think of sometimes a family picture, the whole family together in a picture. Uh, we might think of a school picture. Uh, this is the time of year where you do school pictures, isn't it? Some of your parents, right? And they usually, do they still do like the individual shot, but then the class shot? Do they still do that? And uh, so like the class shot, everyone together is the idea. And so let me illustrate it for you. I brought a picture of uh, our family picture taken about three years ago. It was at the uh, passing, going home. He was a believer of uh, my father-in-law, my wife's dad, out in Ames, Iowa. And uh, after the funeral, uh, everyone got together and took some pictures. And so there's a unified family Different ages, different backgrounds, different pursuits, but we're together. I brought with me my second grade class picture. And this is uh, how not to be unified, okay? So here's my second grade class picture. And uh, we're all there, but we're all in our own little boxes, right? I'm the good looking one, if you're wondering, okay? Uh, I still have the same haircut, by the way, if you uh, spot me there. That'll tip it off. But, um, but, you know, that's not what it means to come to church. We just don't come gather in the same building because when it says they were together, it's not talking about geographically, it's talking about relationally. And so just because we're under the same roof doesn't mean we're necessarily together. It's when we interact and we relate and we become a family that is what it's talking about in Acts 2. Let me show you a picture of a definite way not to be together. Uh, here's a class shot. <laughs> and uh, don't sit off by yourself. Or don't make someone sit off by themselves. Man, we ought to be together. We ought to make sure, hey, everyone's connected. And we're, we may not be everyone's best friend, I get that. But in Christ, we are connected. Years ago, my wife and I did a missions trip to uh, Costa Rica. And we were there working with a church, and other couples had gone with us. And uh, one night, they had uh, all the couples or single people that were on the missions trip go to a home of someone from that church, a Costa Rican. And uh, we went to a home of a family, and they spoke no English. And we spoke no Spanish. So we had a great meal. I remember the meal. It was really good. Uh, but we had a hard time communicating. Teenage girl know, knew just a few words of English. That helped a little bit. So after dinner, we said, okay, what are we going to do with our time now? And um, we got our Bibles out. We got out our English Bible. They get out their Spanish Bible. And we knew enough between us to find the same books and passages. Okay, we knew numbers. I knew Juan meant John. So we could at least find something in John together. And, uh, and we did a Bible study. They reading in Spanish, we reading in English. And you know what? Despite diversity in Christ, there can be great unity. And so that's where it begins. If I want my life to be represented like the early church was and be generous in how I live my life, uh, it begins with 
embracing the family of God. Here's the second lesson we learned. In the latter part of verse 4, in uh, verse 44, 44b says this, they had all things in common. Now let me read that again, and we need to understand what it means. They had all things uh, in common. And, um, and I misspoke a little bit earlier. Sometimes you get with the third message, okay, did I say that or not? I think I talked about koinonia a few minutes ago, did I? Uh, that's the word common, not the word together. Okay, I got ahead of myself. And so uh, everything I said about koinonia, just apply it to right now. Would you do that? Um, and so uh, that's what it means to have it in common. Uh, and um, and uh, they had all things in common. Now, what does that mean? Let me begin by telling you what it does not mean. It does not mean, and it's not an endorsement of socialism or communism. It's not saying everybody ought to have exactly the same. That's not what it's saying there. So, well, how do we know that? Well, we know that in part. We know it for several reasons, but a big one is from here on out in the book of Acts, you still see people who had more than others. And uh, some were rich and some were lower income, and that was true then, and it's true today. It's true where I do ministry. I go into a major league clubhouse. Do you know what the minimum salary in a major league clubhouse is? $550,000 a year. That's the minimum pay. I'm going, man, I should have played more baseball growing up. Um, and then we got, guys, so we got those guys in chapel, some making way more than them. And then we got guys that are the clubhouse kids who are making like minimum wage and tips. And you know what? There's great lessons to be learned in that environment. For those that, in, the, in, our, in, in our environment and in their environment. For those that may have less, maybe we or you or whoever that applies to, we say, uh, you know, hey, maybe I got to guard my heart against jealousy or resentment uh, or wondering how come God blessed them but didn't bless me like that. And then for those who may be on the higher end, uh, they, those folks, uh, and if you're in that group or if I'm in that group, need to guard our hearts against uh, maybe pride or selfishness uh, and realize we're accountable to God for what he's blessed us with. And so understand this is not an endorsement of socialism or uh, communism. Uh, and it's also not a mandate for redistribution of wealth. That's not what is happening here. And we'll see that vividly here in just a moment. Uh, here's what it is. It was voluntary. Nobody had to do this. But God put it upon hearts of people in that early church that I've been blessed with so much, and I've been blessed with unbelievable things in Christ, that all I can do is take the grace he's given to me and extend it in generosity toward others. That's what was happening in that early church. Uh, it wasn't mandated. It wasn't required it was people being moved in their heart. Here's what God has done for me, and now I want to be a blessing to others. Uh, it was done in view of God's grace. That was the motivating factor. Uh, uh, let me read a few verses to you. You won't have time to probably turn to them, but write the reference down if you desire. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.7. In 1 Corinthians 4.7, it says this, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If, you, uh, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You know what it's saying in that verse? Everything you have, everything I have, is by God's grace. You know? You worked hard, I get it. I worked hard. Someone else worked just as hard or maybe harder, but yet I've been blessed with more than maybe they have. Maybe I was born somewhere in a part of the world where they weren't. 
And all that, you know who it's attributed to? It's God. It's his grace. It's his plan in his sovereign will. And he's blessed us. And that's as they saw that, and especially as they saw, I've been blessed in Christ with a home in heaven, with a Christ in my life. I've been blessed with those riches. How can I be a blessing to others? Physically, materially, spiritually. How can I do that? That's what motivated them in their hearts. Um, another verse that we read, uh, Paul says of himself, 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul, you're a good guy, you worked hard, but you know what? You're doing what you do because of God's grace in your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, and listen to the first part of this passage. It says, I say this not as a command. So this is not a command. And it goes on to say, but to prove the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. How do we show our love for Christ? Uh, to prove that. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. He left heaven. Uh, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You know what that verse is saying? If I really understand that Jesus made himself poor to come here so that I might be rich in Christ and have heaven as my home, if I really get that grace extended toward me, you know what I'm motivated to do? I'm motivated to show that love to others and to show my love of Christ by how I bless others with my generosity. That's what that verse is saying. We sang a few moments ago, uh, yes, uh, all I need, uh, you, you are all I need. Take everything. That's what we sang. And sometimes people have a hard time giving anything. Isn't that true? Uh, I battle with that. Do I really want to give? But I sing, hey, take everything. And we have the opportunity to give and be generous. Not because we're made to do it, but because of God's grace in my life. A couple more verses here. And uh, this is really a powerful verse. If you say, Jeff, what verse do you use for your direction in giving in the Bible? This is one of the big ones right here. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A couple things about that verse. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. You are required to do this, according to that verse, and I am required. I'm required to make a decision in my heart about what I want to give. Anywhere from zero to everything. What do I want to give? And I'm required to make that decision in my heart. You know what it means to make a decision in your heart? It means to make that decision over the word of God in prayer. That's what it means. So every one of us needs to say, God, what part do you want me to have in giving? What do you want me to do? Here's how you bless me. How can I bless others? All of us are required to do that. Now, I'm not, you're not told to give an amount. You're not required to give an amount. You're not to do it uh, under compulsion. Can't make you give, but I can say you're supposed to ask God about it. I can say that. And we're called to do that. It says there, uh, don't give under compulsion or reluctantly because God loves a cheerful giver. Anyone know what the word cheerful is translated in the old King James? It's the word hilarious. That's what it means. God loves, that's the Greek word. God loves a hilarious giver. So next week when the offering plates are passed, you need to belly laugh 
and roll in the aisle, okay? But that's what it means. God is not putting anyone on a guilt trip. He says, talk to me about it, figure out what you should do. I'll give you an example. One of our Tiger players, Matt Boyd, he's a pitcher. Uh, Matt and his wife, Ashley, maybe you've seen this on the news uh, or on the Tiger's website. Uh, They have their own website too, kingdomhome.com. God put on Matt and Ashley's heart uh, to build a home to rescue boys and girls from the sex trade in Uganda. And I can't go into the whole story of how that was led there, but that was their decision. Nobody made them. They prayed about it. They had a burden for it, and God led them to have a part in that. And that's what we're all called to do. God, where do you want me to use my resources to be a blessing and to be obedient to you? So I really encourage you, uh, pray about it. I'll tell young players uh, if they're married or if they're single, but if they're married, I'll say, hey, before you decide, and everyone's after these guys for money. Uh, We actually have a policy with Chapel. We don't take money from the players because everybody's trying to get something from them. We want to be different. We want to go in with the gospel freely. And uh, so I'll tell guys, listen, you're going to get hit up with all sorts of requests for money and your wealth. Uh, Pray about it with your wife before you do anything. Get on the same page. Say, this is what God wants us to do. That's what that verse is saying. Decide in your own heart through the word of God and through prayer. Um, You know, here at the Woodside, we have been blessed historically uh, as being a generous church. And there are stories we could tell uh, for hours and hours. However, it's left to every generation to reaffirm that generosity that reflects God's grace. So if giving is kind of a new thing to you, these are some of the Bible principles of what it means to uh, look like Christ in showing his grace to the world by giving and living generously. Here's the last point, folks, and our time uh, winds down here shortly. Uh, Verse 45, we are to use God's resources for family priorities. Okay, here's our family, the, the, the people of God, the, the believers in Christ. Our resources are to be used here uh, as a priority, as well as maybe being used elsewhere. You say, well, where does it say that? Verse 45, they were selling their possessions. And the word possessions there is the idea of land. So some of them owned land, and they were selling that land. Uh, and belongings, things they owned, and distributing the proceeds to all. And the last phrase is key, as they had need. So this wasn't a redistribution of wealth. It was, hey, there's needs there. Let's help meet those material needs and let's meet spiritual needs uh, with what God's blessed us with. Two needs in particular that we'll mention that the Bible talks about. One is the needs of people. Boy, every day we see people who have needs. Uh, Maybe they don't have food. Maybe they don't have a home. Maybe they're homeless. Maybe they're out of a job. And there are needs that pop up around us. Here's what it says in Galatians 6.10. So then... As you have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. So here's what it's saying. As I have opportunity, as things come into my life, as I see see needs, if I can meet them, and you can't meet every need, if I can meet them and God puts that upon my heart, I need to be conscious to look, how can I meet the need financially, materially, with a service, with whatever, of, uh, uh, of anybody, but especially those who are, are believers. I want to be conscious of that. How can I bless someone who's maybe going through a tough time here right now? Maybe you got to plow on the front of your pickup truck, and you go down and you plow out the driveway for the person who can't do it themselves. That's meeting a need. And it's doing what God has told, using my resources, what God has given to me to be a blessing to others. A few years ago, 
Uh, you, if you follow baseball, you know this, but probably all of you, I have an idea of this anyway. The Tigers are the major league team, and underneath the Tigers, there's like six or seven minor league teams. And, um, and so there's one in Toledo, Erie, Pennsylvania, and other places. And every spring training, all those players get together in Lakeland, Florida. I usually go down for a good part of it. We do Bible studies down there. We do a Bible study with all our major league guys together and all the minor league guys with them too, uh, and wives and girlfriends. It's really a great time. There's a guy in there who's a 10-year veteran in baseball, made a ton of money, and an 18-year-old kid who just signed his first contract. And we just do a Bible study, and we're all one in Christ. And uh, then when camp breaks, everyone goes to their different teams. So a few years ago, one of the kids that went to Erie, Pennsylvania, he never made it to the big leagues, It's a right-handed pitcher named Tyler. And Tyler was from Missouri. Tyler's dad was battling cancer, uh, life or death times. And during the all-star break for Erie, Tyler wanted to go home and see his dad, couldn't afford a plane ticket. And um, so he's going to take the bus. And here's what would happen. He'd been on a bus for about 24 hours going out there. He'd have about 10 hours, 12 hours with his dad, get on a bus for another 24 hours and come back. And so some of the guys on his team said, hey, well, maybe we could put money together and get him a plane ticket. And so one of the guys down there texted me, said that's what they were trying to do. I mentioned some of our guys up here, and the player said right away, said, Jeff, just tell them to book the ticket. We'll take care of it. And it wasn't a large amount of money, especially for those guys. But you know what was the key? They saw a need. And God put it upon their heart, I'm going to meet that need. So it's not about the amount it's about the desire to meet the needs of others around us. Everyone that we come in contact with, that person at work perhaps, uh, especially those of the household of faith. And then the second thing, uh, that, uh, the uh, second area of need that we have a part in meeting is the need of the mission. You know, we're on a mission. That's what the book of Acts is about, to take the gospel to the world through churches, through missionaries, through uh, any way we can get the gospel out and make disciples. And we're all to be part of that mission. And that's a budget at a church, and that's a staff, and that's activities, and that's supplies, and that's resources, and all, all those things for, for a mission. Not just to do it, to share Christ with others. Here's what it says in 3 John, a letter at the end of the Bible. It says, you will do well. To send them, talking about those taking the gospel, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, the name of Christ, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like this that they may be fellow workers for the truth. And so, folks, that's, the, that's what God laid out in that early church, and that's what they did. They generously gave to meet the needs of people and the needs of the mission. Uh, and that was a characteristic of the early church. There's an example of one of the guys who did that. And we're not going to read it all today. But if you go and read Acts chapter 4, I encourage you to do it. In Acts chapter 4, it talks about a man that we know as Barnabas. Does anyone know his real name? If you read in Acts 4, verse 32, I think it is, it says this. It says, Joseph whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a piece of land and brought the money and gave it to the, uh, put it at the apostles' feet to meet the needs of the people. So Joseph was his real name. Barnabas was his what? What do you, uh, what's, what is it called when you give someone a name that's not their real name? A nickname. That's his nickname. 
Do you know that? A guy in the Bible had a nickname? You say, how did he get that? You know, every time he's mentioned in the book of Acts, he's encouraging somebody. Uh, in Acts 9, by what he said. <clears throat> in Acts 11, by what he did and how he lived. In here, he encouraged by how he gave. And he got the name. Maybe they're sitting at the Jerusalem Starbucks one day. And, you know, the order's ready, and Barnabas is the guy. Yeah, I'll go get it. You guys stay, Steve. I'll, go, I'll bring him, and I'll pay for it. Here you guys go. And, uh, you know, the disciples are there. And say, you know, every time that guy's around, I'm encouraged. Forget about calling him Joseph. Let's call him Barnabas. How many of you would take that spiritual nickname right now? I would. Suppose we did this. Suppose we took the next two hours and one by one sent you out of the room. And while you were out of the room, the rest of us would vote on a spiritual nickname for you. I'd be a little worried, especially if my wife were here. Like, whoa, you know, hey, Stingy, how you doing, Stingy? Grumpy, good to see you today, Grumpy. I'd take, I take encourager right now, wouldn't you? And all of us have, have the opportunity to do that by how we give. Many of you know um, the Hall of Fame broadcaster for the Tigers, Ernie Harwell. And uh, Ernie is with the Lord now. But uh, Ernie, when he was at um, the chapels, uh, you know, would always stay and talk to players. And one time he was talking to a player, a, my, a catcher, backup catcher, didn't play a lot in the big leagues, named Rich Rowland. And in the offseason, Rich would go back home to California. He was a lumberjack. So he would cut down the redwoods and the sequoias and so forth. And Ernie was talking to uh, Rich about those trees. And he said, man, those trees are so tall. They weigh so much. They withstand winds and storms. They must have a root system into the ground that's phenomenal. And uh, Rich respectfully said, well, Ernie, that's not the case. He said, in fact, the roots of those trees go down very shallow into the earth, much shallower than you would think. But the roots of one tree will interlock with the roots of another tree. And then they'll interlock with the roots of another tree. And he said, you'll have an entire forest of those trees whose roots go down very shallow into the earth, but they gain their strength by being connected together. Ernie said, that's the Christian life right there. And that's what Acts 2 is talking about, folks. We're united together uh, in the word of God in prayer, in fellowship and community, next week in serving, and today in giving generously. We do it together. Father, thank you for the word of God and the example of these early believers. May we live generously and give graciously. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.